It's happy hour from Uptown New Orleans at the Collins Hotel. The Collins Hotel, a great place to come and stay if you're coming to visit New Orleans and a great place to come and have a drink if you're already here. Come and have a drink with us. It's happy hour. Hi, I'm Grant Morris. My special guests at the Collins today for happy hour are Dr. Randolph Howes, Gallivan Burwell, and Jennifer Henry Holmes joining me this afternoon as well as on piano, the fabulous Mitch Foreman. Hey, Mitch. Hey, Grant. How are you feeling? Positive, excellent, upbeat. I'm feeling excellent. Positive, upbeat. Yes. What did you do? We've been, we've been on holiday for two weeks. We've had two weeks vacation. How did you spend it? You know, every week I talk about the projects that are never ending, and they're actually ending. One is finished, and one is about to finish. Sing along with Mitch. The album with you and vocalists is, is finished in production. Or it's out of my hands. Out that's my gone. Hands. Okay, so that's coming out any day now. Then. Any day. Yeah, I'll put the link up on the website. When okay, it's, very it's, good. And the German fusion record is it's, gone I'm nowhere. I'm mixing it. And now it's almost Jennifer's done. Jennifer's laughing done. already. The, <laughs> Jennifer, I mean, uh, German fusion is like a sort of one of those, you know, oxymorons, yeah. like humble Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mitch, let me introduce you to our fabulous guest today. Gallivan Burwell is a dog trainer and a musician. Which one uh, goes first, Gallivan? Uh, dog training doesn't go over that well on the radio, so I'm guessing a musician. So when you introduce yourself, do you say, I'm a musician and a dog trainer or a dog trainer and a musician? I usually just introduce myself as a dog trainer. You do? You don't say musician? Yeah, I never said musician. You see, I've known you as a musician for all these years, and I only yeah. found out you were a dog trainer a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, isn't that something? Well, I, who, you know who told me? No. My dog. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was... See, that's <laughs> how, how well I trained him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how well trained he is. Jennifer Henry Holmes is a social worker and an Olympic gold medalist. Jennifer, yeah. w- welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you very much. What is your Olympic gold medal in? Um, it's in uh, freeform swimming. Freeform mm-hmm. swimming. What is mm-hmm. that, like freestyle, you mean? Well, it's a problem because I don't swim. Oh, but, you can't swim um, at all. You never won an Olympic gold medal, right? <laughs> no, uh, I didn't. Dr. Howes is looking at me like, okay, what's going on here? Really? She won a gold medal, but then <laughs> yeah, no, that I counts. Just, I just thought I'd throw that <laughs> yeah. in to make it sound dramatic. Mm-hmm. Dr. Howes is a v- very interesting person as well. Is uh, It's hard to go through all the various things you've done in your life, but you were the, the guy who brought alternative music to New Orleans back in what year was it you started 1061 The Zephyr? I'm stumped on the first question no. as to what year it was. <laughs> it seems like it was three lifetimes ago. It was for but, you. Yeah. And We're we, still doing it. That's right. We're that's stuck fantastic. in a groove here. We have the, one of the best groups here with yourself, with Mitch, with Christian, with Ross. We're all oh still goodness, together. You brought, yes, you brought us here together. Jack Snyder is over here as well in the peanut gallery. Hey, Jack. And so the whole, uh, the whole gang is still going. You were the person who bought and started the Zephyr, and you also were at that time, you were a plastic surgeon. That's right. The inventor of the multi-lumen catheter. Very true. And that catheter went on to become the number one venous catheter in the world. And it's been credited with helping save the lives of over 20 million critically ill patients worldwide. Okay, now it's been about 20 years since I first heard the word multi-lumen catheter. I'm going to finally have a chance to ask you, what is it? Well, it's a catheter that has multiple conduits within it. Back in the old days, back in the 70s, when I was at Johns Hopkins in my training in general surgery and plastic surgery, for each catheter that you had that you wanted to put into a patient to control various things, those things being giving blood and blood products, giving medicines, withdrawing blood samples, or measuring central venous pressure, had to all be done through a separate individual catheter. Well, I combined this technology into one catheter 
so that with just the placement of one catheter, you could do all of these things simultaneously. So I always thought a catheter was something that went into you to make you pee or something. Did you think <laughs> that's that? a type of catheter? That's not that's the a same. Foley catheter. That's a Foley catheter. Yeah, Foley. F O L E Y. This is not, okay. This is not the same one you worked, that you invented. Then. No, no, no. You invented My, things going into the body, not coming out of the body. That's right. The house catheter. The house catheter. Is that yeah. what it's technically called? It's called the Arrow Dash House. Arrow was the manufacturer. I was the inventor. So, so there was like a genius idea that no one had thought of, even though it's incredibly simple. That's right. In fact, um, I was at Methodist Hospital one night when I was practicing plastic surgery. A nurse came by. It was after midnight. I was working on the face of a person who had had a car wreck and some terrible facial lacerations. And the nurse said, um, are you Dr. House? I said, yes. She said, are you the person who invented the, the catheter, the house catheter? I said, yes. She said, well, when you finish this case, I'm going to come back by because I want to shake your hands after you take your gloves off because it's made such a difference for, our, for, the, for the personnel, meaning the nurses, the other doctors, and the patients. Because each time you reduce those additional sticks, the sites right. to put in the venous catheter, you reduce their chances of getting an infection. So you reduce pain. Why did, why did no one else come up with this idea before you? Well, it's like uh, everything else. Once you do, it becomes self-evident. Yeah, but how did you think of it? Uh, I had a patient at Johns Hopkins. I was running the emergency room. had a patient that had over 40 stab wounds came into the emergency room, working this patient up from the time they hit the emergency room, and Hopkins was placed in the center of a ghetto to provide care for those people. So they get there very quickly. But once they're under your care with that many wounds, they're bleeding both externally and internally. This patient continued to bleed. I was able to stabilize the patient, but I had an intern who was helping me who was having trouble putting in a peripheral line down in the leg. So I said to myself after that, I've got to have a better way to gain control of this patient by myself instead of depending upon someone else. Some hopeless intern who was, you know. There was a brutal chief resident who came over and saw that patient. And he said, uh, Dr. House. What nationality was the chief resident? He was a good old American hateful guy. And he said, I see that this patient, you know, blood pressure dropped while they were here. The patient's getting more shocky. And he said, it looks like this patient has deteriorated under your care. <laughs> I'm serious. After with the 40 I could not words. believe he said that. We got that patient to the operating room. They did well eventually and left the hospital. But that was his approach to it. Well, anyone who's bleeding is going to get shocky. You can't help that. So that motivated me at that point. said, I've got to have a better way to do this where I can do it all by myself. So meanness, That's what I did. meanness and inefficiency. And incompetence were the spurs that it made makes you think one of it. accomplish and achieve things. Well, thank God for the incompetent intern; otherwise, you'd be just another doctor, <laughs> and we wouldn't That's be sitting That's one way to look here. at it. Yeah. yeah. See, incompetence <laughs> does have its its upside, right, Galvin? Absolutely. That's what I you've heard the words uh, meanness and inefficiency. My ears perk right up. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And Jennifer, you're a, you're a social worker. Correct. What does that mean, actually? Um, it can mean a lot of different things. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, so I have a private practice counseling. Ah. Um, but with that so degree, like you shrink? can go into a lot of... Yeah, mm-hmm, sort, sort of. Thing? of. I don't prescribe are you medicine. Che- are you cheaper than a shrink? Yes. Yes. Really? So, yes. But you, so social worker means someone who... Well, it can mean... Like a the, there's a lot of different therapist. fields that people can go into, but yeah, I'm a but clinical a ther- social worker, so, so I'm a therapist. So you're a clinical therapist. Correct. And you have a degree in philosophy, I saw on Facebook. Yes, my undergrad is in philosophy. What sort of philosophy would that be? 
I just can almost not remember. <laughs> I know it was a lot of um, thinking about things and arguing and discussing. Just and a complete waste of time. Pretty much. College education. What school did you get that from? Some uh, Trinity University in was San that, Antonio. Is that expensive? I guess, relatively speaking, probably not as much as some other schools, but yeah, it was expensive. But it was so great. Total I loved waste, San Antonio. Total it reminds waste, me of New Orleans. Waste of money, though. Complete Absolutely waste not. of education. <laughs> no and way. You, and then you came here and did a Bachelor of Social Work at, 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 at LSU, at actually. LSU. Yeah, and I lived and here and did my up. internships here. And where are you from originally? I'm from here. You're from New Orleans, I originally. am, yes. Hey, Doc House, where are you from originally? I don't even know Originally that. from Ponchatoula, north of the lake. Yeah. Strawberry Little capital strawberry. of the world. Yeah. My dad was a strawberry farmer, and it taught me something. I knew as a young child one thing I did not want to do when I was an adult. Raised strawberries. Why? Well, it seems like a nice, peaceful... Oh, when I was a kid, I'd be picking strawberries out, then I'd say, my back hurts. She said, you're too young to have a back. Nothing hurts back. Well, something hurts back there. (laughs) That's what you did as a kid. You worked on the strawberry farm. Yeah, but I realized even at that point that, you know, with education, if you study hard, you can continue to climb that ladder. And when I found out, too, you can win scholarships if you study real hard and do real well. I said, this is... I can do well with this. And Do you have brothers and sisters? I have one older brother. Is he on the farm? No. Uh, he, he was a social worker with the welfare department in Louisiana. Really? But he was an, also a motivator. He was one who told me I was never college material and these kind of things. So he was, the old, again, he was he your older brother? He was four years older. Four years yes. older than you. He told you that you were a never, piece of crap and a waste of, of time. Would I flunk out of college the first semester. And I made the dean's <laughs> list. I made honors chemistry my first semester. So, well, he didn't. So not, there. <laughs> were you in what high school did you go to? Like Pontchartrain High? High School. Yeah, very fortunate. I graduated there um, as president of the student body. Did you in have fact, any? Yes. This is interesting. In fact, I beat the the high school football quarterback for that for that position, and the reason I did it was because of a guitar and singing. Really? Yeah. What did you? What was the? So you? What we haven't even got onto at all yet is that you're also a musician. True. I think this is a good opportunity to listen to the song that started it all. Very good. Don't you think? Let's have a listen to this. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you wrote the song. This is the song that we used to play at the Zephyr. And for people who listen to this who don't know what the Zephyr was and weren't in New Orleans and have got no clue, the Zephyr was an alternative station. It was one of the first alternative stations in America. I think it was like the 12th or something like that That's alternative right. station That's in right. America back in 19 whatever year it was you started mm-hmm. it, 1990. And um, 92? Mitch knows. Thank you, Mitch. So we would, be, uh, we would be on the air as, as, as DJs playing alternative music, playing Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Style Council and the Ramones and all this. And then every now and again, because the station was owned by Dr. House, we had to play the song. <laughs> and here it is. It's called Commode. That's fair. Huggin' Drunk. That's a classic. As I say, if it's now played by Dash Rip Rock, you know it has to be good. I was down in New Orleans at the biggest party I've ever seen At a thing they call the Mardi Gras Millions of people and a handful of punks A million drinks and a handful of drunks It was the darndest party I'd ever saw Pink elephants and a purple cow It got too wet for me to plow Tried to dance with a Cajun sister Folks were jumping in the air and hollering cause they didn't care. Hey, throw me something, mister. I've got commode hugging drunk. 
be drunker than a skunk I had to call my old friend Ralph I got commode hugging drunk Drunker than a skunk Mardi Gras the best party in the South I got commode hugging drunk Drunker than a skunk I couldn't even walk a straight line I got commode hugging drunk Drunker than a skunk But I had myself one heck of a time Oh, that's so spicy Flying through the air Canal Street was jam-packed with fun Costumes and marching bands And happiness and waving hands It was a ball for everyone Oh, I got commode hugging drunk Drunker than a skunk I had to call my old friend Ralph I got commode hugging drunk Drunker than a skunk Mardi Gras the best party in the South I got commode hugging drunk Drunker than a skunk Couldn't even walk a straight line I got commode hugging drunk Drunker than a skunk But I had myself one heck of a time Come on down to New Orleans here with us. We're gonna have a little party time. I want these tall blue dogs jump up and catch one of them big old goblins now. Oh, I am. He be hanging on that porcelain pelican just like me. Come out, hung and drunk, Doctor Randolph. How's the visit? The first record you uh, you ever made? No, no, it wasn't the first. But that one got uh, the attention of uh, the New Orleans Times Picayune. And they chose it as one of the songs destined to become a classic back at that time. And how accurate were they? Not very accurate on that because <laughs> I didn't have the time to market it. I still think it could be marketed today. Mitch Foreman as I a professional see, uh, musician, what do you think about that? You know, I couldn't hear it that clearly. So I'm uh, you really couldn't tell? You, <laughs> yeah, your head, I, all I, I heard a feelings. little bit of the song, but I heard a lot of people going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And a little bit of laughing. I'm, so. I'm thinking he's a true renaissance man. He is a true renaissance He's a man. a doctor and an author and, and a you haven't musician. even heard the beginning of it yet. We haven't even got <laughs> on to what we're really going to talk about today, which is curing cancer. That's right. But we're going to get on to that in just a minute. But first of all, let's talk about dogs. All right. Gallivan, shall we? Sure. How, how, how did you get to be a dog trainer? That's what yeah. I'd like to know. What made you interested in training dogs? Well, I've always been kind of a dog brain. I've always had dogs. I've always been... Uh, had a long history of fabulous, wonderful dogs. Yeah. And um, I had trained some traditionally, you know, which is kind of the, you know, choke put chain. The, put uh, the 25-cent coins in the Coke can yeah, and shake yeah. it in the area. Yeah, I never did that. I was never. Uh, uh, oh, that's but not I, a traditional I, way. That's, that's, uh, that's traditional, um, traditional dumb thinking. Um, you know, <laughs> let's, let's take our best friend and scare the living bejesus out of right. him first. 
Yeah, um, and then that's maybe how we, we used to do it, or whip them. Well, you know, I can see <laughs> relating to people that way, um, but not dogs. You know, dogs have a natural affinity for people, which people don't necessarily seem to share. Um, for each other. Yeah, for one another. You think exactly. dogs are kinder to us than we are to, uh, to each Do- other? Listen, dogs have the power to uh, uh, crunch, eviscerate, rend, uh, disembowel. And you watch a dog go through a, a rawhide sometime and think about how much crap he takes from you during the course of his life and what a nice animal this is. Um, oh, the fact, the I, fact you that think the, you, most people are mean to their dogs, are we trying to say? Have the dog... Well, I think most people are so, um, well, I guess the word is boneheaded, uh, towards their dogs. Uh, I think, you know... Are they? Yeah, I think so. Um, I you think know, because, people... because people think dogs are people, which they're not. The greatest, okay. the greatest challenge that people have in relating to dogs is recognizing that they are dogs, first and foremost. They're fabulous creatures. I mean, I... when I tell people, when I tell somebody, it's just a dog. They go, oh, my God, it's not just a dog. It's, it's Bongo. And I'm saying, you know, <laughs> right. but that's what I'm saying. I'm, this is like the highest compliment you can pay to a dog, you know. But most people, are, what you seem to be saying is two things. That one, people are stupid and boneheaded towards <laughs> their dogs. And the other is that they overindulge them. Well, is that, there, there does seem to be like a double-edged experience. sword. In that I love to live in a world where dogs can be uh, spoiled. You know, I'm all in favor of dogs being spoiled. Yeah. But at the same time, I want... You know, uh, my animal to stay out of the street. I want my animal to listen to me. I want my dog mm. to communicate with me. So these people who are overkind to their dogs and give them a seaweed wrap and a mud bath is is not. It's not helpful. You mean unless it goes with there's a discipline. It's like having Absolutely. kids. It's the but same it, as kids. Yeah, we do a lot of the same stuff. Um, uh, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of schizophrenic. People with their dogs, and um, on one hand, they're just sucking up to them totally. Oh, you know, the dog comes you want up. The dog, the, to dog love you. the dog comes up. Well, the, yeah, it goes without saying. The dog comes up and barks at you because it wants something. And everybody goes, "Oh, what is it you want? Oh, what is it, dear?" And the, you know, uh, and then in the next minute, they're off to see Caesar Milan, uh, who's hanging their dog by the neck. Um, and there's, you know, it's no wonder these poor animals uh, suffer so. You know, we they all, like consistency. They we, like. We all think that. I mean, yeah, everybody thinks that. Everyone looks at people being stupid with their dogs and saying, "What an idiot! Why are you overindulging the thing? Or why are you being so mean to it? Or whatever it is." But most of us don't then become a dog trainer. Yeah. What What made you decide to take the leap? Well, and do something about it. After Katrina, you know, I mean, as everybody was watching all the all the horror shows on the uh, on the news night after night while we were uh, in exile. Um, one of the things that kept just striking out to me was all these dogs. You know, I mean, there was something like, uh, you know, there were hundreds, of, of, hundreds of thousands of dogs perished in, yeah. in Katrina. And, was um, it that many, really? Yeah, it was really high. The, I mean, the SPCA uh, saved something like 50,000. There's that many dogs in New Orleans? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of dogs out there. How many um, dogs are in New Orleans? I don't know offhand. There's only like 100, how many thousand people are there? 700,000 people? Yeah, well, there was more people before Katrina, of course. But and, some, you know, suppose there was a million yeah. before Katrina and yeah. there was 100,000, yeah, more than 100,000 dogs. Yeah, there's, you know, anyway, the, the toll was just ridiculous. Yeah. And um, to me, I couldn't imagine um, where you get, uh, by the time your, your dog is sitting on a roof, you know, um, you know what's going on for the poor dogs. And I, I was trying to think, what do I do to help, help animals? What, what, that was kind of where I landed. Right. Um, and one day I picked up a book called The Culture Clash by a woman named Jean Donaldson. 
And uh, where, where were you to pick up this book? I, I was here. I was back. It was yeah, uh, just picked it up. Yeah, it just was someplace I was. I can't remember. It was an old ratty copy of this book, and I picked it up. You don't remember where you picked up the book that changed your life? No. Okay. Not off the top of my head. Okay. No. Luckily, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure but, you don't yeah. remember? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where were you? Yeah, there's a lot, yeah. of, a lot of things that changed my life. I remembered every one of them. It'd be a, a long parade. Um, okay. But anyway, so I picked anyway, this so thing up, this and I opened out. it up and, and started reading it. And I remembered many, 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 many years ago when I was a late teenager, and I was sitting on a, uh, uh, out on a deck in, uh, in Berkeley, California. Oh, you remember the way the deck was, right? Yeah, and I, well, okay. I, I was in a good state of mind, and I was observing my, uh, my old hippie dog, Friday. And all of a sudden, I saw her minus all of my uh, anthropomorphizing of her. Yes. And I saw, I had a, a glimpse of pure behavior in which everything was approach, avoid, and it hit me that, the, that this wonderful dog, that one of the things that was at the core of her was that she entered every situation with the same thought in mind. Uh, how does this affect me, the dog? Mm. And, what um, about me? Yeah, what about me? And, and uh, I, I don't know, it seemed to me at that time, and well, it still seems to me, because in 1994, the culture clash, which Gene Donaldson wrote, basically set off that, is people don't see dogs being dogs, that we lassify them, you know? You know, Meaning if, like Lassie. Yeah, like Lassie. If, you know, if, look, if, if a meat truck rolled over on Lassie's block, Timmy would have stayed in the well. <laughs> she would have gorged herself, okay. uh, laid down, right. gotten up, taken a poop, looked to see if there was more meat. In the meantime, Timmy's gone. <laughs> you know, maybe later night you wonder what happened to that kid okay. because he's I'm the guy lo- that I'm, opens the can. I'm lost now, though. Yeah. Where, where are we? Anyway, so... We're, at, we're, we're back in we're Berkeley, talking about, yeah, we're looking talking, at the dog, talking and then you had, this, you had like a vision. You yeah, had a anyway, vision so, of so, what's going on so in the So when dogs. I picked up this book, uh, The Science of Dogs... This is after dogs, Katrina now. This is right? after Katrina. The Science of Dogs is postulated uh, through uh, Gene Donaldson. Um, just had a totally different approach to teaching dogs, uh, using learning theory... Um, looking at what the dog does. Not why is the dog doing this? Why, what is the dog thinking? Who knows? What is the dog doing? That's the only evidence we have. Which you know? is kind of linked to the vision you had back on the Absolutely. Berkeley days, yeah. that you had the same and, sort of thought. She and had. at that point, I, I said, this is what I'd like to do. And um, so I did some research, and I found out that I could actually go to California and study with Gene Donaldson, which is what I did. Wow. I, That's know, impressive. So you tracked her down. Yeah. Yeah, she, she, it turned out that she had a, um, a, uh, the Academy for Dog Trainers was housed at the San Francisco SPCA at the time. And uh, very small, very intensive, um, basically came out with kind of an undergraduate uh, um, amount of knowledge in, in learning theory, animal behavior, in addition to just really training. So it all comes back to Berkeley. Yeah, and all comes back. Well, to, that's a uh, good story. In the end, I have to say, yeah, it took thirty. It, it took thirty years to yeah. get around there, but uh, what was it? What was it? We'll get to what was in the middle in a minute. In the <laughs> meantime, somewhere along the line, you picked up a guitar, just like Doctor Howes there, and uh, and played guitar. Well, I did that first. I mean, that's what I always wanted to do. Um, you succeeded in that. I have a pic. Yeah. Well, I, I had a picture. I have a, there's a picture of me sitting when I'm like three and a half years old with a Roy Rogers guitar in my lap, and I'm. And Let's I'm, pick up the guitar you've got here and, and uh, take a listen to something. All right. Play us a song. What do you think? All right. Okay. Let's see, this is. Um, wow, what a beautiful guitar! What is that? This is a Taylor. And actually, I played. I had this same guitar when I played your show in mm. uh, on Bourbon Street uh, 
more than a decade We don't tell ago. people that I used to work on Bourbon Street without having to explain <laughs> that it wasn't the strip club. <laughs> no, I don't know if this is... Is this... It sounds nice. Mitch, is it coming okay across? You? you got it? All right, well, this is... Uh, uh, this, is, this is interesting. Uh, Monday, uh, I was sit, standing on the street talking with uh, John Matassa, who's uh, the great engineer Cosmo Matassa's son. We were talking about Cos, who's a really good friend of mine. And we were talking about how so many of these people are still attached to one another. You know, Alan Toussaint and Dave Bartholomew and Cos. And I brought up Wardell uh, Curzair. Right. And, um, of course, as we were standing there speaking, Wardell was either out of this world or on his way out of this world because he died on... Wow on the day that we had this conversation. Um, anyway, I wrote this song for Kaz um, for, for his birthday for last Cosimo year. For Cosimo Matassa. Cosimo Matassa. Matassa was the seminal engineer who recorded all these amazing New Orleans musicians. Yeah. And Dave Bartholomew, uh, who is the other seminal guy, will tell you flat out that Kaz was the glue that held it all together. So this is called Cosmo Matassa. All right. Great God Almighty, what's that sound? A little black disc spinning around. Fortified wreck a couple minutes aside. New Orleans music, New Orleans pride. If it gets you moving, makes you sad, it makes you smile. Cosmo Matassa was working the dial. Cosmo Matassa, if you never heard of him or you heard of Frogman Henry, Guitar Slim. You heard Smiley Lewis, Shirley and Lee. You heard Lord Price shouting Stagley. You heard Little Richard, I know. You heard Fats. Cosmo Matassa made him sound like that. Mr. Cosmo, tell you, didn't do much. But he had the ears and he had the touch. One room with one mic and one take and one track. Once in a lifetime captured on wax. Kato and Eddie Bo and Dave Bartholomew. Sugar Boy and Buffer, the things they used to do. Leading the band you might from Brother Ray. Alan Toussaint, the Wardell Curzier. Everybody be, ha! The record men from New York and Chicago would come down. Try to learn the secrets of the Cosmo sound. Some would try to tell you. Elvis was the king, and he invented rock and roll, but they don't know a thing. It started with the fat man and maybe Roy Brown. It started in New Orleans, it's the Cosmo sound. It started in New Orleans with the Cosmo sound. It started in New Orleans with the Cosmo sound. Yeah! Right. And it did, too. It was awesome. Yeah. How did you get all those songs and uh, all those names <laughs> in that song? Did it take ages to figure that out? Uh, no, actually, it kind of fell, fell right to part. And the funny thing about it is the whole thing, if without the mistake in the middle, is about a, a minute and 90 seconds, which is what all Perfect. those records yeah, were. Yeah, it's a <laughs> song. That's a great song. Good deal. Thank did, you. did Cosimo like it? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, somebody went over and told him, uh, uh, I'm going to write a song about you. And he, and he said, somebody already did. <laughs> oh. Too late. Oh, very nice. Very yeah, nice wonderful indeed. man. Is that on a record that we can direct people toward? No, no. You just wrote that and yeah, just wrote it and play it. It's I on a podcast a, I now. Made a, I haven't yeah. made a record in a long time. <laughs> yeah, but I should have gotten it right. <laughs> it's story of my great. career. Story of my it's life. A, <laughs> is it really messing up as a story of your life? <laughs> yeah, it has been. Really? Yeah, I'm seriously proud of it. <laughs> Do you think that's true, really, though? No. No, I've, well, I've, I've, had a, have, I've had a blessed life. We have a clinical psychologist here to, to figure yeah, that well, out. Yeah, well, I think she could help me. Absolutely. <laughs> what, what can you do for him? 
Well, I can tell Jennifer. that he's very messed up, and he needs a lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> where, where would you start? Um, What's the first question you ask someone when they come in? Like Gallivan, let's say Gallivan came in to you. Well, I, I, wish us- I usually say, um, tell me what it is that brings you in here. And I, and I start with wherever that person is. What would you say to that Gallivan, other than being paid to show up? I, I, need, uh, I, I need a change for the parking meter. <laughs> Do you have 25 cents? <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. You'd be out of there and then... Uh, but, I mean, is she, this is obviously a very noble person because generally the first thing they ask you is, uh, do you have insurance? <laughs> <laughs> do you take Medicare? I don't really deal with insurance too much anymore. So it's cash only? Pretty much. If you can't afford to go <laughs> right. get fixed, you don't It makes me a much happier, have... better therapist. Really? Absolutely. You don't feel that you'd like to help everybody, only people who can afford it? I do sliding it. scale. I, I, I set aside time for, to make sure that I oh, give back. Mm-hmm. How do people find out about you? Usually now it's word of mouth and referrals from psychiatrists right. or other doctors. So psychiatrists don't want to mess around with talking to people anymore. They almost, uh, they almost only do medicine right. now. They don't do much so therapy. So talk therapy is in the realm of somebody else like you now. Correct. That's yes. interesting, isn't it? Because psychiatry was all about, yeah. tell me about your childhood. Yes. And now it's, here's a prescription. Yeah, pretty much. So you do the diagnosis and you send the person to the psychiatrist with the diagnosis and then they give them the drugs? Yes, yeah, if they need medicine. What does a psychiatrist do all day? Rake in the dough. Are you you (laughs) making a lot of money? Um, I mean, I make enough, I guess. But I mean, not just you personally, but someone in your position. I mean, in your profession. Yeah, Um, I think so. I have a lot of younger people that come in now to ask me about going into this field and I always say yes and recommend them to there's there's so many different ways you can go with this degree and um yeah it's a really great career i noticed that gullivan said that he thinks that what dogs are thinking about constantly is me 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 what about me how does this affect me what do people think is that well it's funny when you said that because i thought aren't i know that dogs are dogs based on what you just told me but that's so human you know that Hey, you know, how are you? What do you think of me? You know, it's what we're all thinking most of the time. Is is about ha- ourselves. Is what about me? Yeah. yeah. So how different are we from dogs? In it? That's I don't know. I mean, I do a lot of anthropomorphizing myself with my dogs. How many dogs have you got? I have two little Maltese. What are they like to train, Gallivan? They're fine. They're just like tra- kind of like training a moth. A moth. <laughs> <laughs> do you have dogs, Doc? Oh yes. What have you got? Three. Three dogs. three dogs. All three were strays. Yeah. And uh, the same thing with the cats that we had. We have three cats. Where are you in, living now? In Kentwood, Louisiana, hometown of Brittany Spears. Right. Yeah. Do, you, do you know Brittany and the Spears family? Uh, uh, yeah, Lynn, Lynn Spears and I are very good friends. You are, really? Yeah. So what's yeah. Brittany like as a person? Well, I don't know Brittany that well, but I know her mother mm-hmm. real well. You know, because she's basically on tour most of the time. Right. She rarely gets back to but Kentwood. Wasn't she there when she was growing up there when you were there then? No, I wasn't there at that time. Oh, you've gone back there. Well, yeah. well you're from Honcha Tour originally. Right. Where did you go in between? Did you live in Kentwood? You've lived in Kentwood for a long time, though, haven't you? No, since 94. Well, well Brittany <laughs> Mark had only been born around then. Yeah. Actually, you know, a lot of my time was spent with the education. You know, here in Tulane for the MD and the PhD in biochemistry, and then Johns Hopkins for general surgery, plastic surgery then back into practice in New Orleans. So then after that, in 94 is when I retired, and that's when I moved uh, to Kentwood. Are you retired in 1994? Yes. How old were you when you retired? 50. Wow. So you made a huge amount of money out of this multi-lumen <laughs> catheter. 
Well, I did pretty well with it and allowed me to do what I wanted to do, right. which was always to have the, the time to concentrate on these major problems of mankind, such as cancer and heart disease in this country and in developing countries such as malaria and HIV-AIDS. Those are the four biggest killers of mankind. What are the four biggest ones? HIV-AIDS, mm-hmm. malaria. That's right. What are the other two? Cancer and heart disease. Cancer and heart disease. Yeah. Okay. Shall we, shall we light into this right now then? Because we're sitting here just to set the scene. I've got in front of me, how many books have I got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight books. Yes. And two of them are probably three, two or three inches thick. Yes. And they're mostly about science. Here's one called, I mean, let's, okay, should we go through one disease at a time? Well, have, you, have you attacked all these diseases yourself, one at a time, malaria, HIV, AIDS, heart disease? But I've concentrated primarily on cancer and heart disease. And cancer is one of the most fascinating. This uh, book right here, yes. Excessive Antioxidants, The Dangers in Cancer Patients, Whoa, watch out for the is, beer. A, is a very, <laughs> very important one. And this is one that we're trying to market right now. How much does that weigh? Wow. It's <laughs> a heavy book. I've lot. never yeah. read a book this thick. Well, I can't I mean, even start yeah. this. Is it, what is it? Here's well, the uh, chapter headings. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the ch- It's called okay. The Dangers of Excessive Antioxidants in Cancer Patients. In cancer patients, this is people who have already got cancer. That's right. A health impact statement and selective review for the medical profession and educated consumer. So this is not, this is not, oh, thanks. This is not for, you're not saying that antioxidants cause cancer. They can cause cancer. That's one of the misconceptions that's out there now. I see Jennifer's drinking vitamin water here. The, today, antioxidants is a product of marketing. It's not a product of science. Okay, stop right there. Okay. What is an antioxidant? Okay, an antioxidant is a compound that will block oxidation. And actually, an antioxidant is an electron donor. It gives an electron to oxygen. Let me go back then to the whole theory. You need to know this. Okay. The reason that free radicals became demonized was because of the free radical theory introduced in 1954 by Dr. Denham Harmon. And it said that oxygen free radicals, and that means that it has an unpaired outer orbital electron, Actually, we're breathing diradical oxygen right now. But by definition, oxygen radicals were deleterious and harmful. That notion stuck. So consequently, antioxidants were supposed to be good for you. Okay. And now it's the buzzword in nutraceuticals. They stamp it on everything. Right. And products that wouldn't sell before, if you stamp antioxidant on it, it will sell now. They introduced 108 new products last year. It's in everything now from... Uh, is fortified in, in pizza dough and cookies and uh, anything to keep it from spoiling, even bubble gum and dog food. Antioxidants are all over the place. So you can the, put, the, you can put an anti, something is an antioxidant, sorry to interrupt you, but something is an antioxidant. There is an actual thing. Like, yeah, it's, a, like yeah. it's an ingredient. Yeah. What does ingredient. it look like? It's is a supplement. It's a powder vitamin or? A, vitamin C, vitamin E are antioxidants. Okay. So that's Those are the, the f- most common ones. That's the form that it comes in is vitamin A, vitamin C, or vitamin in the, E. In the supplement form. We have a lot in our bodies already. Cholesterol is an antioxidant. Uric acid is an antioxidant. Estrogen is an antioxidant. Testosterone is an antioxidant. Bilirubin is an antioxidant. But what happens when those antioxidants that are naturally in our body become excessive? What happens with hypercholesterolemia? When your cholesterol is way too high, that's the number one risk factor for heart disease. All right, look at the next one. Let's look at uric acid. The most common antioxidant in the body, uric acid. And you get gout. You get gouty arthritis and heart disease. Look at the next one, estrogen, where well, you need it for normal female functioning, but what happens when you get too much? We know that it feeds breast cancer and uterine cancer. Okay. Look at testosterone in males. It feeds prostate cancer. 
the best treatment for a patient with prostate cancer is castration, whether it's surgical or chemically. That's what we do. Billy Rubin. Okay. And the We're going down a bad road now. Yeah. yeah. Billy Rubin, the patients who have high bili- yellow jaundice babies. Yeah. The most common antioxidant there. These patients get brain damage from that antioxidant. Okay, so hang on a second. Sure. Are there good antioxidants and bad antioxidants, or is too much antioxidant bad? A low level of antioxidant is good because oxygen needs an electron. Okay. A certain level will give that oxygen that electron so that it can become other types of free radicals. That's what we want it to be. Okay. Those are the things that, that, let me explain it this way. In the body, we fight bacteria oxidatively, not antioxidatively. Okay. We fight all of these pathogens, whether it's a fungus or whether it's a protozoan such as malaria or whether it's the HIV AIDS virus, oxidatively. We kill cancers in our body all the time, oxidatively. Meaning with oxygen, not by, de- not by depleting that's right, oxygen. That's right. And, and so antioxidants... Will block uh, the oxidation. Which would be stupid. Well, Forrest Gump could figure that out if he knew the information. <laughs> so, but unfortunately, most do not. They've accepted the free radical theory as gospel, and that was the end of it. Well, that's not the end of it. My background was also in biochemistry. I've gone into the quantum mechanics of it. I know what's happening here, and I know what's happening on an electron level. And when you get excessive antioxidants, you get into trouble. We know it in human beings. We don't have to run the experiment. There's a disease called chronic granulomatous disease. These patients cannot make the first electron addition to oxygen. It's called the superoxide anion. What happens to them? Repeated infections, granulomas or tumors all over their body. They die an early death from infections. They can't fight the infections. Okay. So practically, are you saying that, that as a society, Jennifer, with her, anti, with her vitamin water drink... I'm just drink, drinking it for the caffeine and guarana. <laughs> is that we're all t- we're, we've been sold a bill of goods and we're taking too much of this vitamin A, vitamin C, Absolutely. vitamin E, and, all the, and these other things, and it's bad for us, not good for us. That's correct. And now, what are this, yeah. well, it was supposed to protect us from cancer, heart disease, and strokes, and what's the it, antioxidants. And what's it giving us? It's giving you problems because now when you get into the studies, and I now have studies on over 365 studies on over 16 million human beings, I've worked very hard at this, that shows that they're either ineffective and over 106 of those studies show they cause harmful effects. Increasing the incidence... 106 uh-huh. show they cause harmful effects out yes. of 365. In- increasing That's the only a third of the studies show harmful effects. Well, you're only a third at risk to get those problems in. What are the problems? And you don't need those problems. Cancer, increased risk of so, cancer. So I, if I have too much antioxidant, I increase my chance of getting cancer. You, because you're blocking your oxidative right. ability to kill it. Yeah, but that's what you're, that's what you're suggesting, right? Whereas the rest of science is suggesting it's, it's the opposite. It's not what I'm suggesting. It's in the literature. It's there. Okay. But no one else. I've never heard. Have you guys ever heard anyone say that, Galvin? Jennifer? No. That's what Mitch? makes this innovative. That's right. That's why if you hadn't invented the multi-lumen catheter, people would say you're a crackpot. That's right. And once this becomes well-known, it'll now, be self-evident then. Right. Well, wow, these but, antioxidants, that was a no-brainer. Why was I blocking my own oxidation, which was the very thing that was protecting me? If you think oxygen is so bad as they have said it was, it's toxic, I suggest you take the pinch-your-nose test. I okay. do not breathe through your I'm mouth. Pinch it. your nose for 10 minutes, and then we'll discuss how bad oxygen is. Well, when I first heard about antioxidants, it was through uh, people who were uh, interested in life extension. Yes. And the idea was that 
oxidants uh, cause the cells to uh, degenerate and that you could slow this down through the use of antioxidants. That's, That's another huge myth. This book right here, which, is, will, which will be on Amazon in about three weeks, Antioxidant and Anti-Aging Scams. It is a radical scheme to get your money from your pocket into their pocket. There is not one single agent, including the resveratrol, which is supposed to stimulate the CERT1 gene. It doesn't work. Not even the manufacturers of Reveratrol now working with it. They've well, quit. I'd like to point work. out to the people on the other side of the radio that I'm 60, but I look 30 because of antioxidants. <laughs> because of, because of, uh-huh. of oxidants. Antioxidants. Yeah, of yeah, antioxidants. Yeah, yeah, I, I do bowls of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, see, we're getting so many now from the environment. They're putting anything that might produce spoilage, discoloration of foods, they're put into the animal products to keep all of the foods normal uh, from spoiling, such as our cattle, such as pork, such as chicken, now even into the uh, feeding of fish. Antioxidants are coming into us from everywhere. This is why we're overloading on them. This is hence the book, Hang Antioxidant on, Overkill. Book? Antioxidant Overkill. Yes. This is a bit thinner. I and it's available at <laughs> Amazon.com. Oh, this has got some sort of hieroglyphics on the front. What does all this mean? Zero, uh, delta, zero. Those are the different forms of oxygen once you start to change oh. the electron structure. You're going from the ground state diradical to superoxide to hydrogen peroxide, hyperchlorous acid to singlet oxygen. All of those things, that's where the magic lies in oxygen. Literally, we can take those products, I can take those products, yeah. and kill a cancer cell and not hurt a normal cell. Now, think about it. Can that. you cure cancer? Because we can't do that can, today can you with chemotherapy can, can and radiation. You, can you cure cancer? I think that I can, and I think okay. I showed it in a study in, in Tufts Medical School. I'm going to get back to that in just a minute. Okay. I'm going to talk to you about how you can cure cancer. Because okay. we'd be onto something right here on Happy Hour if we could come up with a cure for cancer. Meanwhile, Mitch Foreman, what are you playing today? Wow. That's a tough act to follow. <laughs> yeah, really? Uh, <laughs> just a song but, before we cure cancer. What would be the last song you'd want to hear before you cure well, cancer? Well, you know what? I was, lo- I was looking through an old notebook of mine, thinking of what I would play, and I found a, something from 1993, and the song is called Who Knew, which is, I guess is appropriate. Perfect. And it goes something.
Who knew? Mitchell Foreman. Thank you very much. What did you think of that, you guys? Yeah, very, very good. Nice, very yeah. good. Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, thank you. Beautiful thank piece you. of paper. All right, back to, can- back back to, to cancer, cancer curing. <laughs> okay, while you were playing, Mitch, I know you weren't looking over this direction, but Dr. Howe's handed me his book, which is called yes. The Dangers of Excessive Antioxidants in Cancer Patients, and opened it to page 22, which is a, a list uh, of different types of cancers. Uh, how many would there be here? About 30? 27. Tw- oh, I said about 30. Not bad. <laughs> oh, eh? Very oh, good. Wow. Okay. Wow. 27 different <laughs> types of human cancer. Burkitt's lymphoma, human chronic lymphocytic leukemia, human acute myeloid leukemia, and so on. Another 24 of them. Mm-hmm. And these are the things that you, you can cure each one of these 27 now, if, types if of cancer. These are listed such that if you're in the laboratory working with cell cultures of these cancers, and if we want to keep those cancer cells living... Yeah. We put antioxidants in with the cancer cells, and they keep growing. If you want to kill them, you have to put in prooxidants to kill them. And what is a prooxidant? A, a prooxidant is, again, one of these oxygen-free radicals, such as uh, w- the terminology here, and I won't get into this now because we don't have the time, but such a thing as superoxide anion or hydrogen peroxide or hypochlorous acid like bleach. Okay. These are oxidizing agents. You can kill cancer with hydrochloric acid or bleach? If you can oxidize it, you can kill it. It's that simple. That's the way the body does it. But these, these compounds they, act they inco- as a, a signaling agent. Right. And they tell the cancer cell to kill itself. Big, long name is called apoptotic execution. And in doing so, that signal comes from the oxygen-free radicals. So if you're taking lots of antioxidants, you're blocking your own ability to kill cancer. See, I had to rethink cancer and heart disease. I thought, well, we're all going along till our fifth, sixth, seventh decade, and we get cancer. That's not correct. The potential for cancer is always there. This is why some children are even born with cancer. But yet the free radical theory says, no, it's only after we accumulate all of these oxidative products throughout a lifetime that we get cancer. Not true. But our body is constantly detecting new cancers and getting rid of them. Telling okay. the cancer cells to kill themselves. So what you're saying is we're predisposed, possibly some of us, to get cancer, or all of us it, to it some can, extent. All of us to some there extent. There can be a genetic predisposition or a genetic sway. It and can be from environmental factors. It can be from many factors. And whatever it is, we're increasing our chances of the cancer actually taking over our bodies by taking vitamin A, vitamin C, and vitamin E. That's correct, if you take them excessively. Which, what is the definition of excessively? Because... The recommendation is now coming that you should only take them if you have a proven or known vitamin deficiency. And that can be done with a simple study in the doctor's office. Okay. But if you're taking them otherwise, you're taking them unnecessarily and you're unnecessarily putting yourself in harm's way. How many people in America do you think are taking vitamin supplements each day? About 50%. Jennifer, are you? I don't. Ta- you don't take any? You don't I've, take I've any? Always, I've always I used to take them myself until I researched it. it. Gallivan, do yeah, you? I, I do. I what do you them. take? I take a multivitamin, and I, uh, I take... Centrum? Uh, no, it's a uh, whole, food, whole Foods. Whole Foods one. And we take like 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C or something? Yeah, something like that. A day? Yeah. What's the chance of them getting cancer? Well, the, the more recent <laughs> studies on large studies, one including a half a million people, shows that multivitamins increase the risk of the aggressive form of prostate cancer in males. It increases breast density in females, which is a precursor to breast cancer, it increases allergies and asthma in children. Multivitamins. Now, you take it, you know, it's your choice, but at least you should know the potential dangers. If this, I mean, there's obviously a huge industry of people who wouldn't want this information That's correct. to be true. So are you, have you come up against anyone who's trying to tell you to stop 
talking about this? Not at this point. Because, you know, no one can fire me because I'm totally <laughs> right. independent. Right. And my objective is to get the truth out there and then let people make up their own mind. Well, but first you need to know what the scientifically based evidence says. Are people calling you a crackpot or anything like that? No. With my kind of credentials, how can they? Right. Well, they can because I'm sure they, <laughs> they call Galileo crazy. They tried to kill him. Catholic Church tried to put Galileo in no, chains. They will not argue so. with me. All the data okay. is in these books. This is why they're so thick. Hey. Every, study that, <laughs> every study that I cite is in these books. Don't argue with me. You argue with the data. Okay. Mitch? I have a, I have a question. Um, so all the, this talk is all about cancer. I'm just wondering what the doctor thinks about, like, 100 years ago, what was the disease? Was there cancer or just not diagnosed, or was there a different disease? And it seems like diseases come and go, and, like bubonic plague or something like that. I'm just wondering about the evolution of disease in the doctor's opinion. Yeah, well, it, we know that it's been around for a long time. We've even found it in Egyptian mummies. But the point being that we have much more capable diagnostic techniques today to detect it quite early. Uh, same kind of thing, although we think uh, heart disease is picking up. We do know that there is a global explosion going on right now in cancer, particularly in the underdeveloped countries. It used to be just in the well-developed, the rich countries, but that's not the case anymore. And it may well pass up heart disease in terms of incidence very quickly. Now, in America, we still lose about a half a million people a year from cancer, just as we do from heart disease. Those numbers are not going down. They've stayed the same. You'll see, however, the Cancer Society come along and say, we're winning the war against cancer. And then they start quoting percentages. You have to be careful what kind of statistics you're looking at to know what's happening with the actual data itself. We have made progress in some of the childhood leukemias uh, and, and in some of the lymphomas in adults, et cetera, but otherwise, since Nixon declared war on cancer in 1971, we have made incremental, extremely gradual progress against cancer. Today, a major breakthrough is if I can give you some, quote, medicine that will help you live three, three weeks longer than you would without it. So, that's considered a major breakthrough. To me, that's not a major breakthrough. So you think that we're, it's pointless looking for a cure for cancer? No. And as such? No. It's not pointless. It's going to come through oxidative products. That's where it's going to so, come. So this is where we're getting back to this. So your oxidative product, there is an actual product that you can, that you can invent in a laboratory that will, you can give it to me and it will cure my cancer. No, I don't have to invent it in the laboratory. It's already out there. What You're is? breathing it right now. Okay. It's oxygen. Yeah. And I get you to go out and exercise. You see, by the free radical theory, exercise should kill you. You should drop dead on the spot because you're it, taking in 10 to 20 times what you normally do. It almost but what does happens? kill me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very good. Touche. But the point being, it reduces the risk cancer, heart disease, strokes, diabetes, arthritis, Alzheimer's, right down the line. So, so why is oxygen, it good for you? Oxygen is all we need. You, John need, Lennon. you need the derivatives of oxygen. And there are many, as you see from the front of the book, the little chemical symbols there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you need to combine them in the right proportions in the right place at the right time. And you will be able to kill cancer and not harm normal cells. Okay. What do I do tonight or tomorrow morning to change my life that will stop me or greatly reduce my chances of getting cancer? If you're taking antioxidants, stop. If you're not taking them, don't start. Exercise as tolerated as you can because then you're getting a dose of these, of these oxygen-free radicals every time you do so. And as okay. I said, it, it's, uh, it, it's almost, uh, again, self-evident what, what exercise does for you. Okay, and if I have cancer, 
or someone in my family has cancer or my friend has cancer and they're going into hospital to get treatment, what should I refuse to do? What treatment should I refuse? Wow, that's a tough one because right now we have to go with what is the current state of the art. The current state of the art is chemo, chemotherapy. But we well know that chemotherapy is choose your poison. And what do I mean by that? The whole purpose of chemotherapy is to half kill the, the, the patient while killing the cancer. We give you a maximally tolerated dose. What does that mean? Maximally tolerated? means if you give more, you will kill the patient. We give them choices for radiation. What happens there? Now, now take in, in mind now, each of these systems, chemotherapy, at least 12 of the chemotherapeutic agents and radiation, how do they kill cancer, though? They will kill cancer. They do it oxidatively. They generate these very things I've been telling you about. And in Europe, a, a procedure that's been known for years called photodynamic therapy, that goes through oxidation, too, and through singlet oxygen. So I took my ideas up to Tufts Medical School back in about 2003. I convinced the manufacturers of my catheter to fund a study. When I went there with it, it was nearly scoffed at by the guy we hired, a Ph.D. nutritionist, to run the study, telling him I could use ways with singlet molecular oxygen, the, the uh, metastable species, to kill cancer. Well, he didn't know what singlet oxygen was if it had kicked him in his rear. To make a long story short, we, in, in athymic mice, that is mice with no ability, no immune system to kill cancer, we implanted them with human squamous cell carcinoma. We cured 22% in the first pilot study. The study was so successful... By doing what? By injecting them with, with compounds that form these oxidants that I was telling you about. And you've made up this compound. It's in a bottle. I can put it in a bottle. I can make it very inexpensively. And it's called... I can't tell you anything about what it's called. called house compounds. Way so. ahead of time do any of that. Because it has to, things in medicine in America has to go through steps. Yeah, but okay, and to suppose be telling we, this prematurely okay, on okay. the air is not a smart thing to do. It's, People will it's do a bit the craziest things. It's a bit of a scoop for me, though, if I can, you know, tell no. everyone I, was, <laughs> I got the show where the guy told me about the cure for cancer and it ended up being true. This is going to be in a bottle eventually at some point, and it's going to have, you know, house chemicals on it or something. Yes. And I'm going to be able to inject it into someone and cure cancer. Yes. You'd have to take it through a catheter. In fact, right now, <laughs> you heard it here <laughs> first. Just if I can get to a cancerous site so that I can inject it with these products, yeah. I will kill that cancer. So it has to go directly. And like now, as you know from from studies in in our labs that, that are done uh, with uh, visualization, you know whether it's fluoroscopy or whatever you're using, you can put a catheter or a needle almost anywhere in the body now. Just like they do do, getting into your heart or anywhere else. So you've got to actually touch the cancer with the stuff. I I don't take it like Advil. No. You've got to actually hit the cells Eventually that will be possible because you can raise the oxidative capacity, the whole oxidative capacity of the body. But right now what's happening is because of marketing is people are raising their anti-oxidative capacity. Right. So we're going the whole wrong direction. The only good thing that's happening is that if you do invent this oxidative cure and people keep taking antioxidants, you've got more cancer people to sell the cure to. I wouldn't want to look at it that way. Well, that's why you need, you need me to do the marketing <laughs> for you. Wow, what a story. Galvin, I've got to turn to you for a minute because we're running out of time. I want you to play one more song for us before. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be happy to. I was just sitting here thinking, though, if I get to the end of my life and, and the doctor says, if only he hadn't taken that vitamin C, that's going to be one of the world's great ironies. I think that's where, that's where we're at. Well, vitamin C is a little <laughs> bit different. You can sue whole food. Vitamin C, if you have uh, the presence of transition or heavy metals, it acts as a pro-oxidant. 
or if you give it in high enough doses, it acts as a prooxidant. So it's a little different than the others. That is vitamin vitamin E or vitamin A or its precursor, beta carotene. So C is a little bit better. It's a little bit better, but it does, we find in, in females who are postmenopausal diabetics, it increases the incidence of arteriosclerosis, hardening of the arteries. We know these kind of things happen. It gets you coming and going. It's all in the studies. You know? yeah. It's not, wow. okay. not when I'm... I didn't make it up. Right. Well, you have discovered it, apparently. Though. Yes. I put it all together. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive, wouldn't you say, folks? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. I bet you didn't think you were going to hear that today when you showed up at the Collins Hotel for a cocktail. I was like, stress, if that has anything to do oh, with it. Oh, very the... interesting. This, this big book down here on heart disease, I was amazed myself after I went through those factors that increase the incidence of heart disease that... The worst factors you can get for it is stress, mm-hmm. anxiety, and depression. I, was, I couldn't believe it. And you know what some of the best factors were to prevent heart disease? Mixed nuts. Mixed nuts. Mixed I, was, nuts. I would have said cocktails mm-hmm. <laughs> myself. Mixed yeah. nuts. Yes, of what all about, things. What about if we have like an oxygen mask, like, you know, like Michael Jackson had or they have with the well, Saints games? Where they unfortunately, get the yeah, our blood is usually about 98% saturated. So you can only put about another 1% or 2% in the plasma okay. unless you go into hyperbaric conditions where you raise the atmospheric pressure. Well, that's what Michael Jackson had, but it didn't do much good, apparently. Well, Michael Jackson had a lot of other problems. He had other issues. True. <laughs> Galvin. True, f- true of most, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, uh, what are you playing here for us? This is called Clarion Call. <laughs> I'm not waiting for the phone to ring I'm not waiting for somebody to call I'm not waiting for the fat lady to sing I'm not waiting for the sky to fall I'm not waiting for the moon to rise Pigs to fly, clear blue skies I'm not waiting for anything at all I'm not waiting for the clarion call I'm not waiting for my number to come up I'm not waiting for the deal to go down I'm not waiting for sugar in my cup I'm not waiting for the world to turn around I'm not waiting for money to burn, lessons to be learned, Jesus to return. I'm not waiting for anything at all, I'm not waiting for the clarion call. If you wait for love to come, sounding on the trumpets, pounding on the drum, If you wait for love to appear, you're too late. It's always here. I'm not waiting for the wind to blow, signs to show which way to go. 
I'm not waiting for anything at all. I'm not waiting for the clarion call. Wow, very nice. Gallivan Burwell. Is that available? Is any of the stuff available? No. Nowhere. No. You just sit down and write the stuff and don't bother recording it. Well, I, I, you know, the last time uh, I played uh, on your show, yeah. um, the last record I made it pretty much. It was a just great record. Out. It was called yeah. America. 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 A M U R K A. America. Is that still available? Yeah, you can find it here and there, you know. Um, I love that. I used to play that all the time. Know, there. I play around town here, you know. I play with a couple of other musicians, uh, Dave Malakar and Shan- on uh, upright bass and Sinead uh, Rudden, and who's a beautiful uh, singer. And, um, you know, I, so are you. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, many years ago I saw uh, Kurt Vonnegut speak, and he was talking about um, how the plots of, of great books work. And he would show War and Peace and the Bible and all these things. They all had these big arcs and, and dips and stuff. And then he would describe, he had a graph of his own books, and they were basically a flat line straight across. <laughs> and that's pretty much uh, yeah. been my career. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, uh, it's been very stealth. And uh, uh, I've been doing it a really long time, you know. Um, sometimes a little known, years, sometimes so. little known things are uh, just as valuable as, uh, Absolutely. as more widely believed Absolutely. things. Absolutely. I think that's a We've had some good evidence of that today all around the table. But the evidence I see here is I really should be uh, putting out uh, a lot of books. You need books <laughs> like Dr. House? Dr. House, he can talk to you about his records. He is like, how many records have you got out now? Five albums? Uh, I haven't counted that. Uh, something like that when I had a look. Yeah, maybe more. I need to get you guys hooked up after the show here <laughs> so you can talk about how to do that. We have to move along. I really honestly feel like we could do another hour here, don't you think? Absolutely. I haven't even... Yeah. Sp- I, Jennifer, I have hardly talked to you at all. I know. G- Galvin, <laughs> you have to come back. Would you come back and, of and do another show I'd with me? Of course, I'd love to. we have to have you back as well and talk about m- more about dog training and what dogs think because that's what I wanted to talk about today. Somehow we got hung up on the cure for cancer like it's so important. <laughs> <laughs> My guests today on Happy Hour have been Dr. Randolph Howes, Gallivan Burwell, and Jennifer Henry Holmes. The producers of Happy Hour are Melinda Hawes and Trish Kaufman. Our executive producer is Tanya Castellanos, and our technical director is Mitch Cry. Our music director is Christian Underwin. Cliff Brigden is our web designer and our link to the real world. Our theme song was written and is being played by Mitch Foreman. If you'd like to be on our show... Drop us a line at itsneworleans at gmail.com. Our show, Happy Hour, is recorded live at the Collins Hotel, 3811 St. Charles Avenue. A great place to come and stay and a great place to come and have a drink if you're already in New Orleans. Check out our other shows on itsneworleans.com. There are plenty more happy hours for you to listen to as well as our other shows. Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti and Kathy Finn and Psych Ward with Dr. Ross Shields. Keep up with us by liking us on Facebook. You can also... Follow us on Twitter. Happy Hour is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. Until next time, we meet again around the table at the Collins Hotel on Happy Hour. I'm Grant Morris.